going right to the ring. And Larry Zabisco, I tell you, we have an exciting entrance to begin 1997 as the light died out here and the lasers sparkle out. That means only one thing, the undefeated superstar that we've come to know in 1996, Glacier, opens up our program. Very mysterious individual, Tony. Glacier, a man lost in a world of discipline. And you've got to be disciplined to go through all the katas to combine the styles, the soft and hard techniques, and of course, a lot of history behind that helmet he's carrying down to the ring. No question about that. You know, Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the Southern Front. of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, uh, as, as long as Skype works anyway, it's my quarantine colleague, Dave Amentorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? You know, I have my uh, headphones in, but even just by the little that he can hear when you were doing that, like, that long welcome at the beginning, my cat's, like, head kind of raised up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I'm doing, Dave? I'm making sure that I'm at maximum lung capacity. I'm just making sure I have no reduced lung function. That's how I reassure myself that everything's good. Oh, oh yeah, that's a that's a thing that people do, right? That's how they make sure that they are not dying of a deadly... Yeah, I posted this on Twitter, and I was not joking. There's like a time, a couple, few times a day where I just take deep breaths just to be like, see, I can do it, it's fine. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dying. This cough is just allergies. Uh, well, so today is uh, today's Friday, March 27th, and we're in the state of Minnesota. So Minnesota is actually going to have their lockdown beginning at midnight tonight. So uh, I, I, I mean, from the way that I have kind of lived my last like couple weeks, I don't feel like a lot's going to change. Yeah, really nothing changes for me either. Um, if I, I've been working from home, but should I need to go to the office... I work for a utility, so that is considered essential. Um, so yeah, nothing functionally changes for me. It'll it'll just hopefully convince the people around me to take it as seriously as I have been. And and I got laid off, so I don't have to worry about that for <laughs> anytime soon. So yeah, suck uh, on that, books. Dave works for a bookstore, by the way. But um, today was a really nice day out. It was uh, in the high fifties. So I was able to have a nice walk outside and see other people trying to enjoy it outside. And hopefully, as long as we're quarantined, it would be a nice little plus if it was at least nice outside. So you could, like, have reason to get out besides, like, being quarantined and it's, like, raining or something like that. Yeah, well, it is supposed to rain tomorrow, unfortunately. But, I yeah, I got out for a nice three-mile walk today. I uh, took my son up. We played some tennis, in which uh, there was, like there was people on the other court and then when we were playing more another family showed up like everyone was like shit grab the rackets it's nice and people but, next uh, to just, they're just coughing all over the place just falling over he, the family the family playing next to us i heard the father say something to the daughter about a fever going down 
It wasn't like his own, but it was like he got a text and was like, "Oh, grandma's fever's going down or something." Like I was like, "Holy shit, that sounds serious." Oh, he wasn't. But I mean, he wasn't talking about his hot tennis fever. <laughs> Relieve him by playing some tennis. I mean, the good news is whoever he was talking about, their fever was going down. So uh, you know, that's the right direction for those. <laughs> that is. That is the way that you want to go. Uh, I mean, I feel like. Right now, I'm doing a lot better than, say, the WrestleMania 36 lineup is doing. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because Dave Yeah, we could spend a whole worldwide talking about what's going on with that. Dropping like flies over there. Yeah, I I mean, I think we could certainly maybe look at, if we're doing like a worldwide, we could certainly look at doing like a uh, like 10 or 15 minutes just talking about the show once it comes out. I think it'd be interesting to kind of talk about like, so this is what the show was supposed to look like in the first place right what we got because i think it's such a it's such a crazy i like in one article i read about how roman reigns was no longer going to be at the show his concern was also addressed to the miz who is also not at the show anymore how braun Strowman maybe is facing goldberg and that's weird because we're talking about matches that have in theory already been recorded and also there's questions as far as whether the performance center is open or not so it, it's like it's getting borderline conspiracy theory as far as what's going on with this show. But uh, in the end, I think it's going to be it's going to end up being like a Frankenstein's monster of like a wrestling card. And yeah. like, why? Why did they do this? Was this worth it? Was it really worth it? All right. Well, we're not here to talk too much WrestleMania. We're here to talk Nitro. But before we do that, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 years of nitro or if you want to follow dave that's at dave amentorp a-m-m-e-n-t-o-r-p you can check us out on facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro and you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com today is january 6 1997 and we are coming to you live from the monroe civic center in monroe louisiana in front of 5347 fans 4196 of whom paid for a total gate of $46,263. We have been in this building once before for the May 20th, 1996 Nitro, the highlight of which was a 20-minute Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero match. This is the 69th episode of WCW Monday Nitro. Nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) The show opens with the normal pyro and such, but Tony Schiavone has barely introduced himself and Larry when it's time to start the lasers sparkling, uh, Tony's words, not mine, of (laughs) of Glacier's entrance. I was just going to make a note that we are, since we have now entered the year 1997, uh, that we still have the red and yellow Hulk Hogan and the blonde sting in the intro video. Ah, yes. Good catch. So uh, just an initial note from because we talked I at least I brought it up last week. We talked about briefly last week, um, this week, the barricades are still that certain like distance apart like they were last week. So it looks like this ah. is more of a uh, like the ongoing trend here in which they're pushed beyond the um, the, the, uh, the mats on the outside. So plenty of room for everyone to wander around. Out comes Glacier, a man that Larry Zbysko describes as, quote, a man lost in a world of discipline. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Is that, is that a good or a bad thing? I don't he want... makes it sound like a bad thing, but I think he meant yeah. it as a good thing. 
right. I, th I felt like he was like, I'm going to take this phrase, but I'm going to be clever and use it kind of differently. And we'll see what sort of results I get. Now, we've heard before that uh, Glacier's father and brother are Georgia law enforcement officers, but Tony tells us now that his mother is as well, which I, I think is a new twist in the story. Maybe. And, I, and I'm also not sure how much of that is kayfabe. I think that might just... I don't know about his mother, I suppose, but I, I believe that his father and brother are both Georgia like State Patrol or, or Highway Patrol. They're, they are both in the Georgia law enforcement business. So it's certainly plausible that his mom, mom also was, too. Or maybe she just signed up. Maybe. Yeah, the, like a 60-year-old woman, new rookie cop. Right, she's so inspired. <laughs> Larry also takes a moment to get in a shot at Dusty Rhodes by making a joke about how Dusty believed in the Dallas Cowboys, who had just lost a playoff game against Kevin Green's Carolina Panthers a day before this Nitro aired. Bummer. Larry's cowboy joke is in service of commentary, though, as he says... Uh, that it's a way of, uh, he, he kind of brings it up because he's like, people underestimated the Panthers just like you would be a fool to underestimate Bobby Eaton, who is Glacier's opponent. He's like, <laughs> Bobby Eaton could very well surprise us and defeat the uh, undefeated Iceman. Yeah, he very well could. <laughs> Live in a world of possibilities here. Tony says tonight we're going to see Regal defend the television title against Diamond Dallas Page, a return match from Star Wars. Oh, from Star Wars. Oh, wow. I don't remember that one. Yeah, we're getting uh, the Emperor versus Luke tonight. <laughs> the television championship. No, uh, Regal versus DDP for the TV title. A return match from Starcade as Benoit faces Jeff Jarrett. Shivani promises that both these matches will happen in the first hour of the program, but I'm from the future and can tell you that neither of those matches are actually going to take place. <laughs> In the second hour, he promises that we'll have Eddie Guerrero versus the Taskmaster, which also does not happen, so he's 0 for 3 at this point, and Lex Luger versus Meng, which actually does. Mm. So Tony's batting. Tony's, a, I know he's a big baseball fan. He is batting 250 for for match card this evening. Yeah, I feel, I mean, at least in the Eddie Guerrero versus the Taskmaster, we kind of dodged a bullet on that one. We don't need, we don't need to use Eddie Guerrero on on something like Taskmaster. Well, and the other two, like, there's storyline reasons for it not happening. Uh, the thing with the Eddie versus Taskmaster is he he's said the wrong Guerrero's name. It's Chavo versus the Taskmaster, which is definitely the plan. It's not like they switch it in storyline to be Eddie. Yeah. Um, Tony so, just screwed up. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Scott Dickinson starts the match as Glacier and Eaton stare each other down. With Disco last week and Eaton this week, we are finally starting to see Glacier make his sl way slowly up the jobber chain. Like, no more um, hard body Harrison, no more Pat Tanaka. Like, he's actually getting guys where you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's on Nitro sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, moving on up a little bit. It's like when uh, Braun Strowman goes from squashing, like, two local indie guys to, like, Kurt Hawkins. You know, you're like, oh, look, he's these are actual guys now. Glacier opens with a kick and a leg sweep combo. Eaton fights back with punches and chops, but Glacier punches back before hitting a hip toss and an arm drag. Glacier rolls under Eaton, who gets the least height on a leapfrog I think I've ever seen. Glacier hits a belly-to-belly -belly and a kick to the back of Eaton's head. A scoop slam sets up Bobby for the spinning heel kick that was at one point the cryonic kick, 
We talked last week about how there was confusion that that might be the super kick now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see the exact same thing that we saw when Glacier uh, had his match against Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, where he hits that spinning heel kick, the the cryonic kick, and then goes for a pin only to have like glaring communication problems. Uh, Parker kicked out at two. For some reason here, Bobby Eaton kicks out before there's even a one count. Scott Dickinson's like not even down to count yet. <sighs> and Glacier, who I think thought that was the finish, he looks like he's almost trying to shoot pin uh, Eaton at that point. He's like trying to hold him down. Dickinson is like, oh, I, I guess we are counting. So he tries to get down. But Eaton realizes that everything's too screwed up now. So he thumbs Glacier in the eye. And Glacier at this point is smart enough to be like, okay, I guess I'll sell that because something's wrong here. <laughs> so he gets off. Everybody just gets back to their feet. Who knows exactly what was supposed to happen there? Uh, but this time, Glacier leapfrogs Eaton and hits. I don't know exactly what to call this kick. It's not exactly a super kick because uh, their bodies aren't exactly perpendicular and they're standing really close. So Glacier has to take his leg and instead of like a super kick where you're really extending out. So Glacier Glacier has to get his kicking leg really, really high up in the air, like almost almost like he's doing splits while standing on one leg. Yeah. And then he kind of curves it backwards and it catches Eaton right in the chin, which Eaton sells beautifully as if he's been shot. Uh, so Glacier picks up the one, two, three. It only takes about two minutes. The first minute and 57 seconds sucked. Uh, they weren't very good. But uh-huh. the finish, that last move, was beautiful. It was such a good kick. Mm-hmm. Sold really expertly. Uh, so, like, it left me with a good feeling overall, even though when you review the whole thing, it, it 97% sucked. Yeah, it's, it seems like Glacier is getting a lot of on-the-job training. Uh, live on Monday Nitro, which maybe does not seem like a, a, a good way for him. I, yeah, I, I know he was on the indies, but I don't think for very long. He was definitely more of a martial arts guy who kind of fell into this. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, WCW, ha- I mean, they have some house shows. I have no idea how many house shows he's working at this point as far as, like, if he's facing some of these guys for the first time on TV. Right. That could be an issue because I know at the beginning of this match, I got the impression right away. It's like, oh, I don't feel like Eaton's going to be. He's not like quick enough to make yeah. Glacier's offense look quick. Um, so it, it is kind of it's kind of an odd matchup. I mean, it is the sort of level of guy that Glacier should be facing, but it is it's a little bit of a odd matchup. And like you said, uh, I mean, it seems like there was kind of a mess up there. And for, fortunately. Eaton kind of like took control things, but there was kind of that moment there where Glacier was like, do I need to figure this out or what's going on here? Yeah. So it seems like a lot, there was a lot of things, a lot of things going on in just like the two minutes of time. But other than that, it's like, it was pretty much a pretty standard setup for a Glacier match with just like questionable results. Yeah, Glacier, I thought he got uh, a decent pop. It was like, we we talked last week about how he really, that match with Disco Inferno wasn't over. This So I, I feel compelled to point out that this was over with the crowd, probably yeah. partly because it's the opening match and the crowd is just hot from the show starting. They're excited. Yeah, um, I, was kind of, I was kind of thinking like, well, maybe that's a good position to put Glacier in. Yeah. Make sure that every time he's on TV, he's getting like that first, like the, the first as the first guy that's coming out that's supposed to get a reaction, he's yeah. getting like a 
a pretty lively reaction. It's going to look good on TV. So maybe maybe they should look at that in the future of him kind of being like the opening act from now on. Yeah, it's um it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, he's learning on the job to a degree. Uh, and I think the problem is, you know, he might have been a really good indie wrestler, but what Glacier is isn't exactly a wrestler. These these matches are like heavily choreographed uh like karate demonstrations more than anything so like you know even if he was a good wrestler he's learning how to work like a completely different thing the other his opponents are always working something that's different from their normal element Uh, especially an old school guy like bobby eaton who probably would much rather just call it in the ring instead it's like okay remember leg sweep and that you know all these like complicated combos and stuff yeah it's just not really so that could be a reason why they're so awkward is that they're not trying to do wrestling matches they're trying to do like stunt shows more than anything sure yeah and and the person that they're trying to do it with probably only has like that afternoon to figure it out pretty much right after a break we go to the booth and tony runs down the card again this time adding that we're also in for psychosis versus Rey mysterio sweet the announcers then turn their attention to more pining for roddy piper to step up and be a leader for wcw And after that, we see replays going back to Big Bubba defecting from the Dungeon of Doom to join the NWO. Then his match against Conan two weeks ago, and then last week where Conan fought Wall Street in Bubba's unexplained absence. Of course, this relatively simple sequence can't go without a fuck-up, and they mistakenly label footage of Bubba choking Conan with his bandana, which occurred after their match two weeks ago, as having happened last week when Bubba wasn't actually there. (sighs) (laughs) right tony doesn't notice that he just notices that the video says last week so he just says that it was last week Uh uh-huh and then all of a sudden it just cuts to the footage of wall street fighting conan which also says last week on nitro tony never clarifies it's it's an unimportant thing in a feud that doesn't matter but it's just like what an unforced error and kind of amazing to me that shivani didn't just pick up on what was happening and easily make a little correction i it's just, it's just laziness kind of all around, and that's why I make such a big deal of it. Some music that is not the NWO music plays, but it is not, as I said last week, the debut of the NWO B-team music either. I actually looked uh, into it this week. It is, as you said on last week's episode, Big Bubba's theme that he had before he joined the dungeon. Yeah. Out comes Bubba, and Tony takes the opportunity to congratulate the National Collegiate Football Champion Florida Gators who he claims watch Nitro each and every week. (laughs) Right. It was really weird. Like, if they were the University of Georgia, I would have understood it more. Um, You know, I guess they're still out of the Southeast, so they just figure they've got a huge Southeastern fan base. Uh It just seemed odd, like, the way they were shouting out the Florida Gators. I I didn't understand it at all. Out next, Conan is accompanied by Jimmy Hart. As he walks to the ring, he yells a lot of stuff in Spanish, and I made out the word puto more than once. Interestingly, Conan doesn't come out to the Dungeon of Doom laughing music. Uh, He comes out to just Conan's music, which was a new development. The camera shows some comely woman, and Tony stops in mid-sentence to say, Hello there, just to let us know that he's horny. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Curtis is in the ring to get these guys strapped, and here to get his strap on is our own Dave Amantorp. Well, I was going to say, I, I mean, I don't know. Are you? Do you watch this on the network, or do you watch like a, a like the earlier version, like a the TV version? 
So I have DVDs of the current version, but because of when and how I watched this, uh, I was watching the network versions because I was doing some stuff that required me to be in a room that doesn't have a DVD player, so I just had two laptops going, one playing the show and one with my notes. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, yeah the, the short answer is I watched the network version, even though the other version is uh, an option for me. Yeah, I was going to say it sounded like Conan, uh, his music had a lot of dubbed over sort of stuff that was going on there, but I wasn't quite sure because it seemed like it kind of was going in and out. And also, it's it's hard to tell when it's like generic music being dubbed over by other generic music, you know? So, yeah. Uh, I will check. Um, I'll check on that later, and we can clarify in corrections and omissions at the beginning of Worldwide. Sure. Okay. Uh, I was I was going to mention that it's really weird that with all the shenanigans that we had last week in regards to Big Bubba not showing, Wall Street coming down, him having his match with Conan, the idea that um, that Conan was going to face Big Bubba down the road, which to me indicated that their match against each other was going to be on like a little bit of a bigger stage. Yeah, but, I thought it would be on Clash of the Champions, if yeah, not sold out. Right. I thought it was going to be on sold out as like a way, because like Big Bubba's an NWO guy, that's a way to fill in an NWO card. Um, so I thought it was weird, like ev- everything that was considered last week, and now we're just getting this match on Nitro, and there was no drama between it. They just came down to the ring and the match starts. So I, it kind of makes last week a little bit look a little bit more unusual in retrospect. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so the match begins uh, before the strap is on Bubba's wrist, uh, naturally, as strap matches uh, go. Yeah, I had, I only have, I have very few notes on this match, uh, and my very first one is the bell rings before Bubba is strapped. Yeah. Conan reels Bubba in by wrapping the strap around his fist, but it is Bubba who gains upper hand in the bout with a clothesline, followed by whipping Conan with the strap. By the way, Big Bubba's whipping is very theatrical and over the top, um, and it's a lot of like, showing off but not really like hurting him i feel i feel like it's very obvious that he's he's trying to be uh like soft and restrained on these on this whipping by the way yeah uh bubba tries to come off the ropes but is grabbed by jimmy hart which gives conan the opportunity to use the strap and trip big bubba conan whips uh, bubba repeatedly who withstands the less than fierce assault and grounds his opponent with a strap assisted punch so Conan, when it's Conan's turn, he's also kind of making a big show of it, but you can tell they're not really hitting each other that hard with this thing. Which is fair, if, if they're just throwing a strap match at you on random Monday Nitro, I probably would not be, like, going going all out as though it's a pay-per-view match or anything like that. Yeah. After another punch and a headbutt, Big Bubba starts slapping the corners, but Conan manages to stop him after the third one. A sleeper hole attempt by Conan turns into choking with the strap, which Bubba breaks by ramming his opponent into the corner. After dropping Conan to the mat, Big Bubba chokes him with the strap. Mark Curtis keeps asking Conan if he quits for some reason. Of course, since this is professional wrestling, the rules of a strap match have changed many times over the years, but I'm fairly confident that when you have a strap match that specifically has like the slapping of the turnbuckles for a victory, no pinfalls or submissions or anything like that. I would think so, yeah. I mean, I know there also have been strap matches in which they're just pinfalls and submissions, but there's never been both, as far as I can remember. I mean, if anyone knows an example of that, feel free to let us know. Uh, anyway, Big Bubba wraps Conan's wrists with the strap. Uh, however, Conan uses... 
However, Conan uses this to his advantage, hitting Bubba with a loaded double axe handle smash. Conan goes to the corners, but Bubba stops him after only two are slapped. Uh, Conan then gets the classic uh, getting the strap between Bubba's legs to make him low blow himself. <laughs> yep. Classic. Then holds him in that position while he slaps three of the corners. Hey, I want to interject here real quick. Um, there's just something that the announcers talk about briefly during the match that connects to something we discussed last week. Uh, and whether it was a storyline, because we had talked about what Meltzer had said he had heard it was supposed to be. They talk about Piper's bizarre yelling last week, and they actually do. It's kind of a theme. They talk about it a few times throughout the show. It becomes very clear through some of the comments they make tonight that it is indeed supposed to be meaningful. It's not just supposed to be gibberish. Tony calls it incoherent babbling, yes. which I found funny. You could call a lot of Piper's promos that same thing. Um <laughs> But, but like, later even Tanae says, like, what language was that? So, like, they're clearly planting the seeds that, like, that was supposed to be an important concept that you yeah. were supposed to be paying attention to. So I think that kind of vindicates uh, Meltzer and what he had reported. All right. So when we get back to this match, Conan has uh, slapped three of the corners. But Bubba stops him and drops Conan to the mat with a kick. But somehow, this does not disrupt his quest for the fourth corner. Typically, if you're able to stop your opponent, drop him to the mat, something like that, that makes him reset. But Mark Curtis is like holding up the number three and, and is emphatic that he can still hit that fourth corner. So both men get back to their feet and Bubba gives Conan an uppercut, which causes him to hilariously stumble like halfway across the ring and hit the fourth corner for the win. And as soon as this happened, I was starting to wonder if Big Bubba was a legitimate no-show last week because they essentially replayed the entire match that he had with Wall Street the week before. Yeah, and, you know, I never saw... I never, like, in the dirt sheets or anything, I never saw an actual reason given for his absence. They were just like, yeah, he wasn't there, so... uh, Yeah, maybe maybe he was just a no-show and they didn't really go after him that much or maybe he you know called in sick or or his mom needed him who like who the fuck knows yeah but it could have been definitely it could have been a last minute thing that's for sure yeah excused excused or otherwise sure it just this match struck me as like a redo of last week with bubba yeah wall street because it a lot of like the like the basic Form, like the basic structure of the match was essentially the same and it was the exact same finish too right um also uh last note that i have on this match um if you would notice with big bubba the right side of his pants are still tucked into his boot meaning he's <laughs> still wearing the pants that he tore on the july 8th 1996 episode of monday nitro <laughs> which is now we're celebrating six months of wrestling continuity in regards to big bubba's pants I doubt he's washed him in that time either. Yeah, I highly doubt it. Uh, now, you know, I think this match was stupid and it had another stupid ending where, like, Conan wins, but he looks like an idiot. Yeah. And the guy who loses also, like, looks, looks, I guess, on paper better because he was on offense, but he looks stupid. So, he lo- like, everyone just looks shitty. No one is helped by it. Yeah. And it also, like having wall street and bubba in the nwo doesn't help the nwo 
like that's already a watering down um, that makes it, you know, less cool. But certainly having them come out and lose to Conan hurts even worse. That sucks. The NWO losing matches needs to happen. um, But like it it doesn't need it, it should be on a big stage and it should mean something. It should not be losing strap matches to Conan two nitros in a row in like four minutes apiece. Yeah, and no, I mean, like the idea of it being a redo for some sort of weird no so no show that Bubba had the read before is the yeah. only way that I can make sense out of why these matches happen on consecutive nitros. You know. Yeah. There's, I, I just, I don't. If this is like the way they planned it out, I don't get why they did what they did last week because they're just like, they just did the same finish. They did, they made right. both guys of the NWO look stupid. Big Bubba looks even dumber because he probably saw what Wall Street did the week before and then just did the same thing. Right. I don't. I don't know. Like, I mean, I I have no idea if this is going anywhere. If this is just due to whatever happened the week before, that's why it stretched out another week. Or this is going to be a feud. I really don't want it to be a feud. I don't want to see these guys wrestle each other again. But, well, uh, I feel like we looked it up. Um, I don't remember if this was recorded or if this was you and me just chatting before or after an episode, but we looked it up and Conan faces someone else at both Sold Out and uh, Clash of the Champions. So okay. I don't think this is, is building towards anything. I think this was the blow off here, probably. Well, thank goodness we're past that now. <laughs> Bubba continues to attack Conan after the bell, finally hitting the Bubba slam and some punches before finally finishing the assault. During the replays, Larry's voice goes out, and he acknowledges, he's like, yeah, my voice isn't so good. I I blew it out cheering for Piper. Eight days ago. Yeah. I like that he tried to give a a kayfabe reason and not just like, yeah, because for a living, I like yell for an hour, and it it sometimes is rough in the old voice. Yeah. It is January, after all. The guy's probably sick. After that, we head to the locker room where mean Gene Okerlund is backstage with the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Thank you very much, Tony. Yes, indeed. We had a great uh, 1997. We brought it in in fine style. Kevin Sullivan, I wanted to bring you in as this thing has manifested itself here in recent weeks between you and Chris Benoit and woman. What are you trying to do? Drive me crazy? Hey, everybody had a good year, huh? Well, I didn't have that good a year. I'm not trying to drive you crazy. I do have some videotape footage. I told you about seeing a videotape with Benoit and Nancy. I don't want to see any more of those tapes. That's personal. I would like to see you and Benoit or whoever in World Championship Wrestling get your collective acts together and attack the real enemy, the NWO. Well, let me tell you something. Me and Benoit getting our acts together, there's something that separates me and Benoit. Benoit, you think you've won this game of chess? You said to me, checkmate. Benoit, this match has just started. I've put you in position to get checkmated. By the way, Kevin Sullivan, if I can point out this this videotape that I have, this this footage is not of woman. Nancy, as you know her, and Benoit. It's of somebody else. What are you talking about? I think you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You better not be. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You care to pursue it? But apparently not. That's the answer. Tony and uh, Larry, you guys, if you can figure it out, a very, very complex situation involving the Taskmaster and others. Stay tuned. More Nitro coming up here on TNT. Don't go away. Mean Gene wants to show Sullivan another video, which 
they need to stop already. At least at least Tony is not the one provoking him this time. They finally got someone else to be the sucker trying to piss this guy off. But this time Sullivan just cuts him off immediately, saying he doesn't want to see any more videos of Chris and Nancy. Gene says he wishes Sullivan and Benoit would get their acts together to fight the real enemy, the NWO. Sullivan says that Benoit claimed checkmate, referring uh, to a promo that Benoit did, one of their pre-taped promos from Europe a few weeks ago, where he ended by, that was one where he said, my knight just took your queen or whatever. Bishop. Bishop, yes, the one that is more penis-like, that's right. Uh Unless your penis looks like a little horse head, which, in which, uh, you know, once Corona's done, have a doctor look at that, please. <laughs> right. Uh, but, <laughs> but Sullivan says the game is actually just getting started, and Benoit is the one who will, and I quote, be put in a position to get checkmated. <laughs> He's like, wow, what a burn, man. It's terrible. It's so, you're, you're the one who's going to get the checkmating. Just, dude terrible gene says the footage that he has is not of woman nor is it of chris benoit sullivan asks what he's talking about and gene says you know what i'm talking about and sullivan very quietly says it better not be and gene asks if he wants to see it to confirm but sullivan just leaves this is so weird yeah i actually know what it is because uh dame Meltzer reported i i thought about putting it in but since this is like a minor plot development, I'll save it for when it actually comes up on a Nitro. Okay. Yeah, but it's just, it's really, it's bizarre because it kind of suggests that, that Oakland's going to blackmail Kevin Sullivan with video or something like that? No, no, because Oakland wanted to show him. Oakland's a journalist, damn it. And he's like, I've got this thing you're going to want to see, and, and I'm a journalist, and the people are going to be interested in your reaction to it. And Sullivan is just like, I'm not your puppet i'm not gonna like get angry for your ratings or whatever and you know what the thing that's weirdest to me it's what we talked about uh on last week's episode is like how you know the whole thing with having chris and nancy work the boys by pretending to like be together and by flirting in the the hotel bar like how are you gonna work the boys into convincing that this angle is actually a shoot when then they watch this like promo where like gene is doing you know, kind of his gene shtick, and they're referring to this promo that, uh, or this footage that, like, you know, is clearly shot with the consent of all the people involved. Like, yeah. I don't understand the working the boys thing already. We talked about how that is like an odd thing that it doesn't make sense that someone would do that. It doubly doesn't make sense to me when you're doing such obvious kayfabe angles with it. Like, how how are you expecting to fool anyone? And again, like we we pounded on last week, like what is the point of even trying? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is that Kevin Sullivan is an idiot. But yeah, um, yeah. Again, I don't I don't see the the point of this. That part where um, where Sullivan mutters, "It better not be." Yeah, so hard here. I and- yeah, I listen to it over and over and over again to try to get it correctly in my notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a couple of times, too, which I was like, why the fuck am I re-listening to Kevin Sullivan talk? Uh, but I, I thought he might have been muttering something that was, like, significant or, like, taking a guess at what the video was. So I was trying to hear what he said. And I still didn't get it until you mentioned it now. Like, I couldn't figure out what he was saying. Yeah. 
Uh, after a commercial break, we're with Gene once again, this time in the aisle way out in the arena. We are back live here on WCW Monday Nitro. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me here as a nation, an entire world, welcomes the Four Horsemen. Well, it'll be the first time we've seen them together in quite a while here. Hey, here comes Rick Flair. There's the McMichaels. Double A, Arn Anderson, and Rick Flair is still strutting his stuff. Apparently, we've got the four horsemen here, Sands, Woman, and Chris Benoit. On that subject, Arn Anderson, you were conspicuous last week by your absence, and this week, apparently, no Benoit Woman. You know, Gene Oakle, I'm a man that picks my words very carefully. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say, and I wasn't out here last week because until I could get this thing figured out with Woman and Benoit, I didn't want to step on any toes unnecessarily. Just when I think I've got all the answers, they change all the questions. They're not here this week, Nate. You got an idea where they're at? Ric Flair. Mean! Woo! Gene! Sir. In all fairness to a woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? I've made it clear that being married to the devil for 10 years, the woman deserves a night out with Benoit. That's pretty heavy. And I'm sure that Benoit is working her out as we speak. Woo! In true horseman fashion. Going into another one of those fits. Come again? Never mind. Deborah, you were trying to pat me on the shoulder. I'm sick and tired of this Chris and Nancy stuff. I hate it. I mean, I don't know what Chris is in that girl because you guys do not see her back in the dressing room without any makeup on. She is as ugly as Grandpa's toenails, no lie. And I hope that Chris is taking her to a fat farm because we might not see her for what, a couple of years? And something serious I want to say, though, is Rick, he's always been here for us, always. You know, we all know he loves to party, but he's always here. He separates work and pleasure. And double A, I mean, he has so many irons in the fire, but he's always here for work. And then, of course, my Steven, he has never missed a football game. He was always on time. And then, of course, myself, I have never missed a beauty pageant, no matter if I had a broken nail or my hairdresser didn't show up. I was there. So, conclusion is, Jeff is a wonderful guy. And he is the most professional Four Horsemen. And we both love him. He is a wonderful addition to the Four Horsemen. Has anybody told you you've got a lovely voice? Mongo! She's always bringing up Double J! Hey, Jeff Terry! Hey. I didn't cause that. come out here to cause any problems. Because Lord knows the Horseman has trouble. But Rick, I came out here to ask you a question point blank. You are the man who invented styling and profiling. You are the man. So I've got a question to ask you. 
Do you want a part-time horseman, as in Chris Benoit, who's not here tonight, or do you want a full-time horseman who can do it all night? I'm going to answer that question. Number one, pal, you're not a horseman. Number two, if you aspire to be a horseman, you're going to quit crybabying. You're going to quit being a victim. Horsemen aren't victims. Horsemen are perpetrators. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, hey, Gene, Rick, I know as well as anybody, you guys at Starcade, you and Benoit, that was classic horsemen. You two boys played me like a cheap violin. But you know it. I know it. Benoit knows it. You all gave me your best shot, and I still came out the winner. But I want to get back to my question, because, Arn, you played second fiddle your whole career to, yes, exactly, to Ole, to Tully, and to this man. So I didn't come to talk to the horse's rear. I came to talk to Whoa. the lead horse. Oh, oh, now, Rick, that's oh, not smart. Oh, 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 oh. You do not upset Arn Anderson with talk like that. My goodness, I tell you, Chris Benoit and Nancy are not here. Who knows where they are? But Arn Anderson's here, and my goodness, is Jeff Jarrett getting a tail whipping? Well, he opened his mouth and... Gene asked the nation, nay, the entire world, to welcome the four horsemen. Out comes Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Steve and Deborah McMichael. Gene asks Arn about being gone last week, and Arn says that he was just biding his time, waiting to understand everything with Benoit and woman before he acted. Well, Arn asks... we should point out at the beginning that when he's uh, calling... Calling uh, or introducing the horsemen, the idea is that the entire horsemen are going to show up right then. But we right. don't have Benoit and Nancy. Arn asks Flair if he knows where Benoit and women. Arn asks Flair if he knows where Benoit and woman are. Flair says that woman was married to the devil for ten years and deserves a night out with Benoit, and he's sure that Benoit is definitely fucking her really good. Right. <laughs> And, and the fans are like, woo! Yeah, we also hope so. <laughs> All right. Gene asks Deborah about it, and Deborah complains more about Benoit and Nancy, saying that Nancy with no makeup looks uglier than Grandpa's toenails. Ouch. Deborah hopes that Chris has taken Nancy to a fat farm and that she will be gone for several years. What? Yeah, which, like, A, that's just a horrible thing to say, but B, the idea that woman is so fat that it will take years at a dedicated facility. <laughs> so mean. This is, like, these are all insults Deborah has probably been using since, like, middle school. For long. sure. Oh, for sure. Deborah says that Rick has always been there for the horseman every week, and that the same goes for Arn Anderson. I guess she has forgot that Arn was gone seven days ago. <laughs> or that Flair's, like, out because he's not wrestling. Yeah. I mean, you know, and if uh, the idea might be that she's just a heel and she's purposefully, she knows that and she's choosing to ignore it, making sure. her a hypocrite, which would be good. That would be good heat. So yeah. it might not be that she's an idiot. It might be just good heel work. Or why not both? Yeah, why not both? <laughs> she also says that Mongo never missed a football game. I looked up his career stats, and that doesn't appear to be true. There were a couple seasons. <laughs> but, 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 he missed a shockingly small number of games for an NFL player with such a long career. Like, he really, he really missed very, very few games. So, very impressive. She also says that she never missed a beauty pageant. She then goes, so, the conclusion is... Jeff is a wonderful guy. 
what? <laughs> no one to this point, herself included, has said a single word about Jeff Jarrett. Right. So the idea that that is the conclusion of her statement is baffling. <laughs> you can tell by our attendance at our professions that Jeff Jarrett is just a <laughs> wonderful man. <laughs> she goes on to say that Jarrett is the most professional for horsemen. So I guess Deborah is now inducting him into the group unilaterally. And she says that her and Mongo both love him. Also, she's, comes... she's admitting that Jarrett's more professional as a horseman than she is. That's true. Or Mongo. Yeah, also, that's also true. Out comes Jarrett, who is here to ask Ric Flair point blank if he wants a part-time horseman like Chris Benoit, who isn't even here tonight, or a full-timer like old Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> now, nobody points out that Mongo has been in the group for like five months and has maybe had three matches in that time. Also, so like, no one's complaining about that either. So, yeah, well, I'm certainly not as an audience member, but I'm just saying if we're talking about who's full time and who's part time, uh -huh. I mean, Mongo is there. No one can argue that. Yeah. <laughs> but is he actually like participating? Uh huh. <laughs> Arn says that he will take that question. He points out that Jared is not a horseman and informs Jeff that if he aspires to be one, he better quit crybabying and acting like a victim. Jared gives Arn credit, saying Arn and Benoit played him like a cheap fiddle at Starcade, which is an odd way of describing a match where Arn Anderson accidentally gave Jeff Jarrett the victory over Chris Benoit. <laughs> you got me, Arn. You really got me. Jeff goes on to say that Arn has always been a follower. First, it was taking a backseat to Ole Anderson, then Tully Blanchard, and now Flair. Jared says he didn't come to talk to the horse's rear. He came to talk to the lead horse. Oh, them's are fighting words. Yeah, Arn does not take kindly to this and immediately starts beating up Jarrett in the direction of the ring. <laughs> Mongo and Rick hold themselves back, letting it play out. Arn and Jarrett actually take it into the ring, and a bell rings, and Randy Anderson materializes out of the ether somehow. What this be... is going on here? Apparently in WCW, if two men fight in the ring, like a ref appears like a, a genie and yeah. it becomes an official match. They wished hard enough for a match and that wish came true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it just would be a lot harder to have happen coincidentally. But like, if at a Major League Baseball stadium, if two teams worth of players just showed up on the field... Maybe an official game takes place. I, I, you know, we just would never know because it's never happened. <laughs> this is like, it's like, that's your hypothesis and now I need to have it tested. Yeah, we need to find a way to trick like the, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Cincinnati Reds into accidentally going to a stadium on an off day. Right. And then just being like, well, you're both here. It's a game now. Right. <laughs> what, so they, they did say earlier that it was supposed to be Jarrett versus Benoit, correct? Uh, yes, yes, it was supposed to be a return match from Starcade, they said, yes. Okay, so and in theory, maybe this is when that match was supposed to happen, and that's why the referee was in the ring? Uh, yeah, that, that could be. I'm trying to make reason out of a very unreasonable circumstance. It, yeah, and this, this isn't even the strangest refereeing decision tonight. Right. <laughs> Arn takes it to Jarrett with punches and knees. The crowd chants for the DDT. Jarrett punches his way back into things and is briefly in control, but they wind up on the outside where Arn lays into Jarrett, only to head back into the ring, where Jeffrey catches the enforcer with a swinging neckbreaker. 
Jarrett then pins Anderson with his feet on the ropes, a nice touch because it will make Arn and presumably Benoit more angry, but can't help but earn admiration from Ric Flair. Yes. I thought that was a very, very clever finish for this uh, for this little impromptu match. The match was nothing. It was like two minutes of just brawling and then... But I thought the ending, I was like, ooh, that's a really good way of furthering the storyline. I, I really thought that was good. Mongo, Flair, and Deborah then get in the ring. Deborah gets uh, to Jarrett first, and Flair grabs her to ask what she's doing. Flair grabs her by the arm, and Mongo grabs Flair's hand, rips it off Deborah, and yells not to touch his wife. Flair flips out, tossing his coat on the mat, and runs the ropes in anger. And the crowd goes fucking berserk over this, too. They do. The moment now ev- coat off, everyone's like, oh, here we go. Now everyone is mad at everyone, except Deborah, who is supportive of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Arn, Arn takes off his shirt and is itching to have another go with Jeff. Mongo is trying to get Deborah to calm down. Flair is still mad at Deborah for reasons that I actually don't understand now that we're just laying it all out. Randy Anderson just wants everyone out of the ring so he can play on the ropes during the commercial break. (laughs) Mongo pushes Flair, who is so furious about this that he struts around a bit. (laughs) His reaction, like, I'm so mad I'm going to run the ropes, I'm so mad I'm going to do a little strut, is... It's the best. God, I love it. It gets even better in future years when it's like, I'm going to take off my pants and elbow drop them. Right. Just like insane angry flair. There's no other person like it, and it's so good. Arn stares daggers at McMichael. As they continue to bicker, Arn winds up with the Halliburton case and is giving serious considering to waffling Mongo with it from behind. Randy Anderson spots that coming, though, and manages to get his hands on the case. Flair finally calms things down by saying that if Mongo says that Jarrett's okay, he's okay with Flair. Jarrett and Flair shake hands and strut together to Arn's chagrin. Flair tries to get them all to hug or at least like huddle up, but Arn says to hell with it and bails. Flair follows and then Jarrett holds the ropes apart for Deborah, which seems to rub Mongo the wrong way. (laughs) Jarrett then tries to appease Mongo by holding the ropes open for him as well, and Mongo leaves. Uh, that's the end of the segment. I thought the segment was really, really good. Um, it was like, it sounds like maybe a mess when you're hearing a person describe it as like a 28 step thing or whatever, but I, I thought it was really effective drama. It's um, peak melodrama. Absolutely. And just like, like the, it, it does, I feel like it does actually kind of play out pretty well of, uh, uh, guys just getting like heated and acting irrationally, I think cooler heads prevailing. Once again, yeah. like they relax, they calm down, or like, wait a minute, guys, we're the horsemen, we're still bu- buddies. Um, although it's, and I do, I do like the idea that like it's not a hundred percent fine because like there's plenty of reason for Arn Anderson to be upset about it. Um, I think they could have done all this without like a weird like semi match going on. Yeah. I mean, that, again, is just, like, it's so bizarre that a match broke out, pretty much. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And they could have done that whole, the whole thing without it. Uh, the only thing that I thought could be better is, and maybe maybe the plan is to reveal this over time. So, you know, this is just my in-the-moment reaction, is I'm not 100% sure what the motivation is behind 
some of these actions. I I don't know if as a viewer I'm supposed to believe that Deborah has a thing for Jeff Jarrett and that's why she's doing this, or am I supposed to believe that she hates women so much that she is leveraging a situation where the horsemen are a little annoyed at Benoit and she's just like, oh good, that's the wedge. If I can get rid of Benoit, that gets rid of woman and then I'm happier because I don't like her. So she just sees Jarrett, she's just trying to pump Jarrett up in their eyes because she's like, maybe they'll get rid of Benoit if they believe they already have a, a good replacement waiting in the wings. Uh, so I would just like to understand more why Deborah is doing what she's doing. Yeah. Um, because I, I well, that's some real like three dimensional chess going on there. Yeah, I would actually really like it if that was her plan. If she's just like, look, I'm just doing anything I can to get woman gone. Her having a thing for Jarrett would be, I don't. That would just be like a lamer storyline. And I, since her and Mongo are really married, it would seem. I, I don't think that like that would be the plan. But of course, uh, I believe '97 is the year they get divorced. So like maybe maybe they're playing off real life situations. Who knows. Uh, we get a commercial break with a new ad to buy an NWO poster, the first hundred of who, uh, which will be signed by the Outsiders. Oh, nice. After the break, Diamond Dallas Page's music plays, but he doesn't show for his television title match with Steven Regal. Oh, no. Instead, instead, after a while, Regal's music plays, and out comes your world television champion with a brand new theme. Apparently, his match night will still take place, but subbing for the absent DDP comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, why? What did we do to deserve this? I don't know. Uh, let alone, spoiler alert, like eight and a half minutes of him. Ugh. He gets a ton of pyro and a pretty good reaction. Uh, technically, the last time we saw him on our podcast was in the Battle Royal at World War Three. But the last time he has been on Nitro was 12 weeks ago, uh, October 14th, 96, in a victory over Wall Street as part of that god-awful feud. <sighs> Hacksaw comes to the ring with his big American flag, nearly hitting his lordship with it. Tony promises to get someone investigating what happened to Diamond Dallas Page. And so this is another thing where it's like, so, so the television champion Stephen Regal... Because they played his music after Diamond Dallas Page's music was playing. So there's not any way that Regal was made aware of this change yet, as far as I can tell. But it's sort of like he's the champion. Shouldn't he be able to have like some sort of say if there's going to be like a, a, a last-second change in his opponent? Yeah. But apparently, yeah. Uh, who knows? Also, it's wrestling, so... <laughs> The bell rings, but before any action starts, we see Nash, Six, and Eric Bischoff at the top of the ramp. If you listen to our last Worldwide episode, you know that Scott Hall is absent from Nitro uh, tonight after needing dental surgery thanks to pissing Jerry Sags off at a house show two nights ago and eating a few punches over it. Oh, that's right. I, you know what? I honestly didn't even notice that he was gone. <laughs> the NWO walk over to the broadcast area, and Tony and Larry give up the headsets right away, uh, someone must have told Larry, no bullshit, tough guy posturing this time. Just get out of there. Well, he, his foil is usually Scott Hall, and Scott Hall's not there. So uh, that's a good point. And maybe, maybe Nash is like, I don't really, I don't enjoy this bullshit. Don't, don't talk. <laughs> get out of here. As Regal and Hacksaw jockey for position, Eric thanks Mrs. Epstein, his third grade teacher, for imbuing him with all the qualities that made him who he is today. That's a really weird shout out. It was strange. According to Kevin Nash, 
Diamond Dallas Page and Scott Hall are having dinner tonight discussing business. Eric goes so far as to declare DDP the newest member of the NWO. I'm... I mean, I know that it's a, it's probably just NWO being heels and, and making up a story as far as why Paige is not there. But it just, like, it's it's impossible for me to believe it tr- that it's true because that'd be like DP is forfeiting a title match to have dinner with Scott Hall. <laughs> right. Like that, I mean, even if they're making up a story, that's a really bad story. In the ring, Regal threatens fisticuffs, doing the old, like, Duchess of Queensbury, put up your dukes. Yeah. And Nash begs someone, anyone, to punch Duggan in the face. Hacksaw hits some of the worst punches I have ever seen in my entire life, followed (laughs) by some better ones. It's like he, like, learns how to do it as he does 20 of them in a row. (laughs) Like, by the last one, you're like, okay, that looks pretty good. Regal gets a European uppercut that Duggan sells implausibly by rolling over the middle rope and falling to the outside. (laughs) Nash promotes sold out and says that one of the highlights will be the Miss NWO contest. They invite women to send in pictures if they want to enter the contest, but specify no fat chicks and no heinous broads. That's what Six called them, heinous broads. Yeah. That's a great phrase. (laughs) Well, is it? (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm just saying uh, it, it doesn't fly so much in 2020. No, no, it's just, it's a very funny phrase. Like It is, no, it is. I, I, I mean, that would be like a good name for like a, a women's rock band too, Heinous Broads. The Heinous Broads, yeah, that would be great. A punk band or something. Um, also, it sounds like that Six is kind of out of it on the microphone too. He, yeah, he doesn't talk. He, he says like 10% as much as Bischoff and Nash do. Like, you almost forget that he has one of the mics. Yeah. But then every time he talks, it's like, oh, man, he is uh, struggling to get to the point here. Meanwhile, in the ring, Hacksaw does some bullshit, and Regal is pulled down to his level. Uh, I hated this match, so mostly I just I just described the announcing. I didn't focus on all the shit that was happening. Uh, Bishop points out that Duggan is very over in Louisiana because he has a history there. A reference to Duggan's very successful time in Mid-South Wrestling, where he spent most of the 1980s. I like that Bischoff, like, occasionally does a decent bit of announcing in the middle of all his heel NWO stuff. He says that Hacksaw is as thick as a house, and Nash translates for the people of Louisiana by saying he's actually as thick as a double wide. Yeah. Kevin Nash, everyone. Eric asks if anyone has been able to locate a tape of Starcade, and they all play coy. Nash says the match resembles two drunk guys in a Labor Day softball fight, and that's honestly better than anything I would have come up with. (laughs) As the match stubbornly refuses to end, Eric says that Randy Savage needs to stop calling him and begging for work. Randy should enjoy his retirement or go to whatever rinky-dink organization will have him. I'm taking that as a sign that Savage's return to WCW is imminent. The fact that they're bringing him up at all, you know? Yeah. Duggan takes the tape out. Uh, Oh. Duggan takes the tape out of his tights, uh, still evidently doing the shit with the tape fists, and levels Regal. The bell rings, but it isn't a DQ in spite the use of illegal tape fists right in front of the ref. Uh It's actually time expiring. That's right. Regal and Hacksaw went to a 10-minute draw. 
And you can tell because the referee goes to the corner and starts tapping on his wrist as though he, he has pretends to like check the time. It's yeah. He's like hacksaw. Is it the time? Is that what happened? Hacksaw has the unmitigated gall to act aggrieved that he was robbed of his win in spite of cheating in front of the ref. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing I thought was funny, just because I love Mark Curtis, I'm always watching what he's doing when he's in the ring. He raises both of their hands like they both won the draw, I guess. Right. I just thought that was really funny. Uh, Six says that he has a victory over Duggan, and Bischoff and Nash both seem surprised, or like they think that Six is making a joke. Right. Uh, but they shouldn't be, because that was on Nitro in September, and they were there. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was the one where the NWO like took over. The giant was doing the ring announcing and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know if you remembered. Oh yeah, because I I went to look that up, um, and that was on September twenty third, and it's to date the only match Six has wrestled on Monday Nitro. <laughs> it's like he's like it was my one match, guys. Don't you remember? After the match, Duggan goes outside and grabs a big WCW flag, then marches around the ring with it like an idiot. Eric says that they will let Shivani and Larry back in the booth during the break, and we head to commercial. When we return, indeed, Larry and Tony have returned. Some music we've never heard plays, and out comes Hugh Morris. So between him uh, and Conan, they both have new themes. I guess the Dungeon of Doom theme is no longer like a faction-wide rule that everyone has to, you know, use if they're in the thing. That's another, I should have brought out the um, DVDs because I also thought the Hugh Morris theme sounded super uh, dubbed in by the network. It did not at all sound like the actual music that was playing in the arena. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it does sound a little bit odd. And it's it also just sounds so super generic that, yes. that you feel like it's WWE putting something in there. So, yeah. It doesn't seem at all appropriate for the character of Hugh Morris, that's for sure. Yeah. Morris is out here to face Jim Powers, who comes out with Teddy Long. Uh, it's sad to see Powers come out after Nash has left commentary, because I wanted to hear about how beefed up he looks tonight. <laughs> I, f I felt like that was more the Scott Hall thing. Like, Scott Hall got Nash going about that. Yeah, that's true. But still, like, if, if Powers is on the show and the NWR are on commentary, those things need to be at the same time. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say for that previous match, it does seem like it was just a reason to have uh, a non-important match go on for a while while the end right. does commentary. Because right. uh, I, I feel like they were doing some talking about um, sold out, giving an idea of uh, probably that they want like NWO people hyping the pay-per-view. That makes sense, yeah. WCW people do it. So I kind of, I, I'm with you on that. I feel like that was really the reason why they're out there in the first place. In reference to Eric Bischoff stealing the tape of Starcade, Larry says that there once was a man named Nixon who ran off with some footage, but he was still impeached, which is a very, very loose retelling of the events of the Watergate scandal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Morris and Powers start with a lockup, and uh, Morris takes over with clubbering blows until Powers gets an Irish whip, hip toss, and scoop slam. Powers' clothesline can't take the big man down, but Morris lariats Powers and takes over with strikes. Powers fends off a couple attempts at corner charges, first with an elbow and then a boot to the face. A top rope clothesline gets Jim a two count. Powers stays in control with a knee lift and a drop kick, but a crossbody attempt sees him caught in midair by Morris, who then slams him to the mat. 
From there, it's a short trip to the top rope, and Hugh hits the No Laughing Matter moonsault for an easy win in under two minutes. Morris tells the camera that he who laughs last wins. And his <laughs> moonsault is the Pep Boys power pin of the week. Oh, nice. Good for him. Good for him to earn that. Tony thanks Larry because our number one is ending. We go to a break with a bumper promo. We haven't seen one of those in like a year. It seems like it's been forever. Oh, the Luger one? Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, this... I, I I went to the, I was going into the the bathroom quickly while that was happening because I thought I was going to commercial. Yeah. And then I heard Luger. I was like, wait a minute, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's Luger. He tells us not to dare move out of our chair or touch the remote because he'll be up against Meng soon. When we come back from break, hour two pyro fires, and Tony welcomes Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay to the broadcast booth. After some horseman discussion and a replay of the segment from earlier tonight, Psychosis's music plays, and out he comes for a crack at his longtime rival, Rey Mysterio Jr. In fact, Tanay talks about their history, the fact that they attended a wrestling school together, and how they've spent the last eight years squaring off. And here to call all the action is a man that I met in school 18 years ago, my eternal rival, Dave Amantorp. Damn you. <laughs> That's why I have to be remote because our, our feud has elevated to the point where we can't be. That's right. Room. Yeah, it's like WCW rules. If we see if we're in the same room, it becomes a legal match. <laughs> right. Once we learned that was a rule, then we're like, oh no, we can't do this anymore. Um I was gonna make I was gonna mention that I like the ring gear that Psychosis is wearing tonight. It's like mainly black, but it has like purple and yellow. It's just like a lot more colorful. And is a stark contrast to that really gross white tights that he wore the last time we saw him um, on yes. the 16th against Lord Steven Regal. Yeah. So it was like, oh, good. I mean, I was going to like anything else that he was wearing besides the white ones. But I was like, oh, this is it's a, it's a good look for him. And so you were saying that, like, there's an eight-year feud between him and Rey Mysterio. Rey it's, Mysterio it's, was like 21 at this it's, point. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a, necessarily an ongoing feud or storyline. It's just they've had a, many matches because they came up together. They're friends. They like wrestling each other. So that's like, you know, it's sort of like um, on the indies for a long time. Like you could go see the the Colt Cabana CM Punk match and like every indie wanted to book that match. Sure. It was like, yeah, if, in Mexico, you wanted to go see the Rey Mysterio Psychosis match. And you could just see that, like, in any town, you know, for, like, a year or two because it was just the hottest act going. And that is also me doing a lot of surmising based on Wikipedia. So if somebody hears that and is like, that's factually wrong, yeah. I instantly defer to your expertise. I'm just going off of my understanding, such as it is. So the match begins with some flipping around the ring until Psychosis catches Ray and hip-tosses him over the top rope and to the floor. Um, I've, I've sort of gotten to the point when it comes to Monday Night Shows, I just, the whole over-the-top rope thing, it's just hard to address, like, why aren't they calling his qualification here? I mean, this was not, this is clearly not a momentum thing, but whatever. Anyway, Psychosis gets onto the apron to attempt a springboard backflip, but he gets, he gets very little spring and lands shoulders first onto the apron for his troubles. It looks pretty rough. Yeah. Yes, it very, very much does. Uh, Ray throws Psychosis into the ring and tries to finish him off quickly with the springboard Huracarana. Psychosis, showing no mental scars from his failed backflip attempt, 
Goes to the top and hits Ray with a flying spin wheel kick for two. He hits Ray with a guillotine leg drop from the bottom rope, then sends him to the guardrail with a baseball slide. Uh, Psychosis then goes to the top, but loses his balance and drops back to the mat. So Psychosis is having one of those nights pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I love Psychosis. I'm a big fan, but yeah, he early on in the match, he's got a couple of very noticeable mess-ups. Uh, still unfazed by his timing issues, he goes back up and tries for a plancha, but gets nothing but guardrail as Ray dives out of the way in time. The sound of him hitting the guardrail is very impressive. Like, he seems fine, but it sounds like his head shot into it or something. It's crazy. Yeah, when he went to the top and he fell back down, you could sense he has like a, a little bit of like a, of a chip on his shoulder. He's like, oh, I'm going to really nail it this time. So. Yeah, right. Uh, before we move too far past it, I do want to mention that during this match, Tanay updates everyone on the results of Ultimo Dragon versus Jushin Thunder Liger at the uh, Tokyo Dome show. Because, of course, as the cruiserweight title was not on the line in that match, but, like, you know, one of the guys holds the title. It was important for, I think, everyone to hear it. Um, so we already talked about that match on Worldwide. But I just wanted to point out that Tanae did bring it up so that the the American fans would know what happened. And is that, is that the point where they mentioned that Jushin Liger is going for the cruiserweight title at Clash of the Champions? Yes. Okay. Which uh, doesn't happen much to my sadness. Right. Uh, Ray returns to the ring so he can flip over the top rope and nail Psychosis with a senton. Back in the ring, and it's Ray who attempts a springboard backflip, and he hits his for a two count. Surprisingly, Ray takes a different approach with Psychosis as he keeps him on the mat with a head scissors. Psychosis escapes with a knee to the head and a body slam, then hits a flying light drop from the top for a two count. Angered by the referee's supposed slow count, he takes his aggressions on Ray, flattening him with a powerbomb for another two count. Pretty much anyone that face, faces Ray Mysterio Jr. is the big man and can play as the big man. So <laughs> Yes. I, I feel like there's many, many early years of Ray Mysterio's career which it's like everyone's just powerbombing the hell out of him. Right. Um, just as I say that, he tries for another powerbomb, but Ray floats over and rolls up Psychosis for a long two count. Psychosis gets back to his feet, whipping Ray into the ropes. Ray flips over the top and lands on the apron, and then lures Psychosis in to whiff on a dropkick. This stuns Psychosis long enough for Ray to hit the springboard Hurricanrana, which the crowd pops for, for the pinfall victory. Now, I thought I thought this was a pretty good match. Uh, I, I just really I admire the fact that Psychosis had some mess-ups, but you can just tell... It does not deter him whatsoever. If anything, it gets him like a little bit more motivated to to do a little bit better the next time. Mm-hmm. So this could have been just from the beginning, like two of his three like first big spots were mess ups, and this could have just been a disaster. But I feel like it really shows uh, the professionalism of Psychosis that he just was able to get back into the flow of the match, and it ends up being, I think, a really good match. Yeah, that was uh, essentially my exact same note at the end of the match, is that it started a little rough, mainly on Psychosis' end, but it finished very, very strong. Uh, and so, yeah, overall, it was a good match. And, and like you said, I admire someone who can turn it around uh, partway through and just kind of like 
leave you feeling like that was a good match, even though at the beginning you were worried it was going to be a rocky ride. Yeah, I mean, especially that springboard backflip out of the ring in which he lands on his shoulders. Yeah. That could that would have just maybe like, I mean, I'm obviously not a wrestler, so I don't really know the psychology of what that does to someone, but I feel like that would make me very gun-shy for like at least the next few moves or something like that, but it does not stop psychosis whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, moving on, if you want to make a sandwich, we're told that after commercial, we're going to see Kevin Sullivan versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. After break, Kevin Sullivan walks down to the ring with Jimmy Hart. Sullivan retains the Dungeon of Doom music, which probably makes the most thematic sense for his character, although evil laughter is kind of Hugh Morris's entire gimmick. So... <laughs> If they're all getting their own themes, like it seems like maybe Morris could have kept the laughing. I don't know. Tony tries to show footage of Kevin Sullivan attacking Chris Benoit during Benoit's match at Starcade, but what actually plays is footage of the NWO beating down Eddie Guerrero. Right. Production <laughs> having a rough time of it this evening. Uh, I and I feel like to Tony's credit, he immediately recognizes it's something different, and rather than being all like worked up about it, he just goes on describing what he sees yeah he just describes what he sees and says we'll we'll see that footage of kevin sullivan later which like okay that's fine that's about the best you can do in that scenario meanwhile some nerds are about to be pushed into a locker for that <laughs> out to the ring comes eddie guerrero's nephew chavo guerrero jr chavo slingshots into the ring and taskmaster still in his entrance robe attacks him before the bell the two trade punches with sullivan getting the upper hand he dumps Chavo to the outside and takes off his robe with the help of Jimmy Hart. Chavo jumps to the top rope and hits a missile drop kick into Sullivan, who then falls backwards into Hart, spilling both men to the canvas. Now we see the replay of Sullivan in his chair shot and Benoit from Starcade. In the ring, Sullivan once again jumps Chavo on the outside and throws him into the ring steps. By the way, that chair shot is so cool looking because it's uh, the wooden chair. And it not, yeah, it doesn't just break like the inside of it, but the whole thing falls to pieces. It explodes. It's very cool. Yeah, and Sullivan's like, he's planning to leave the ring holding the chair, but then he has to just drop it because it's just like he has fragments in his hand. <laughs> Shivani tells us that Sullivan and Benoit will finally get their hands on each other at Clash of the Champions later this month. Sullivan throws Chavo into a guardrail and then a ring post before rolling him back into the ring. He sets Chavo up in the Tree of Woe to hit his running knee. After that, it's the double stomp for the quick victory. Sullivan gets uncomfortably close to the camera and asks Chris and Nancy where they are tonight. He heads to the back as we head to break. Uh, that was There's a lot of two-minute matches tonight. Like, There's not a lot of point in saying whether they're good or bad. It's, yeah. it's a glorified squash. Uh, it's a squash against a named guy. They just want to show us that the Taskmaster is pissed off. Remind us that he is a wrestler because he, you know, he is older and doesn't do a ton of in-ring stuff now. So, yeah, it makes sense to get him a couple on-screen wins uh, since he's going to be having a uh, showcase match at Clash of the Champions. And, I mean, we, we've we seen the, the Benoit, Kevin Sullivan, like, brawl thing before. But, yeah. like, I'm also, it's also good to see one of those matches every now and then because we haven't really had, like, a big brawl around the arena since their last one pretty much so yeah i'm not entirely upset that they're having one of these to be honest no that last match was a lot of fun so i hope that neither of them do anything insane like throw themselves 
backwards down a set of concrete steps in the middle of the arena, but right. but I am hoping for some cool stuff, for sure. After we get replays of last week's closing segment and the NWO attack on Piper that sent him into streams of gibberish. The announcers keep calling it gibberish, but as I mentioned earlier, Tanae does say, what language was that? Mm-hmm. Then the young German Alex Wright heads the ring, but he doesn't dance when he gets there, which is very disappointing to me. What's what's wrong, Alex? What's, what's troubling you? He is going to be the opponent of United States champion Eddie Guerrero. We see the same beatdown of Eddie by the NWO that they accidentally showed before the last match, and how Six took off with the U.S. championship belt that night, uh, which by rights belongs to Eddie Guerrero. Here to call all the action of this match, though, is our own disturbingly German superstar, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> right. um, I was just going to make a note. I, f- I mean, I feel like we addressed it um, at Starcade for that Starcade podcast. But when you see the replay with Six, with six uh, stealing the title, at that time, it was clearly the Cruiserweight title for reasons unknown. They oh, used- interesting. Yeah, they used that in place for the U.S. title. Um we saw six earlier when he came in to do commentary. He was carrying the belt, and it was the United States title. So I don't know if yeah. it was a weird one-night snafu or something like that, but like the actual U.S. title is being used now. Yeah. So the match tonight begins with a lot of wrist locks and flips out of wrist locks. He tries to ground his opponent with a flying head scissors takedown, but Alex counters with two of his own before knocking Guerrero out of the ring with the dropkick. Back in the ring, Eddie gains control with a hammerlock, which he then turns into a headlock takedown. Alex Wright reverses into a head scissors, and they return to their feet for another standoff. This match resumes a uh, stalemate pace, with both men reversing each other's takedown attempts. Eventually, Eddie wins out with a body slam, followed by his signature slingshot senton into the ring for a two-count. Eddie Guerrero keeps on the offensive, drilling Das Wunderkind with a pair of European uppercuts. However, a whip into the ropes gives Wright the opening he needs for a clothesline for a two count. Uh, Alex then slaps on a sleeper, which he then converts into a head scissors. After hitting a couple of his own, what I would call more authentic European uppercuts, Alex drops Eddie to the mat for a second go at the sleeper. As Guerrero breaks a hold and drops Wright with a European uppercut, Six shows up in the aisle with the ladder and the United States Championship around his waist. He climbs to the top of the ladder and poses, which obviously distracts Eddie. Alex Wright catches Guerrero by surprise with a schoolboy, but Eddie kicks out at two. After we cut away again to six taunting Guerrero some more, we return to the ring, and Alex Wright has applied sleeper hold number three. <laughs> I, I think I think we're, we're kind of learning now that Alex Wright... Um, there, there are moments where maybe he doesn't know exactly what to do, and so he, maybe Sleeper was kind of one of his uh, old faithful sort of moves to go to. Sure. Uh, Guerrero escapes, whipping right into the far corner, but Alex leaps to the top and hits a flying sunset flip for two. Eddie tries to stop Wright's momentum with a side suplex, but Alex regains the advantage, hitting a spin wheel kick before heading to the top rope. He hits a flying double axe handle and then a northern light suplex for two. Another trip to the top rope for Alex Wright backfires as Eddie Guerrero catches him in time to hit a superplex. He then follows up by hitting the frog splash and gains the pinfall victory. So it's Alex Wright versus Eddie Guerrero. It's a it's a really, really good match. It's a little bit weird that um, 
6 came out to provide like a distraction, but it doesn't really seem to distract any. Um, although that's more for like playing up with their, their eventual ladder match. So maybe they just want to make sure that Eddie got like a victory and, uh, for some momentum for that. Yeah. Uh, but I really, I did, I really enjoyed this match. I mean, I believed I was going to enjoy it going into it and I was not disappointed. Uh, during that match, they mention. I mean, it, it was obvious by what was going on, but that Guerrero and six will have a ladder match. They also say that the Steiners are going to be on that show. We haven't seen them. Uh, we've seen them, but we haven't seen them in a match as a tag since I think Halloween Havoc or earlier, okay. uh, because Scott had that hip injury. Oh, so okay. it'll be nice. I believe they're going to face the Outsiders. They have not done shit in a long time, and now all of a sudden they're the number one contenders to the tag team titles. Yeah, I don't know if they mention it here, but they do mention at some point during the show that it, they are getting that title match. Um, and then I know at some point they mentioned Chris Jericho is facing Masahiro Chono, which is just like a very intriguing matchup. Well, we had that match on Nitro and it sucked. So hopefully they figure it out the oh, second time. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. As soon as he wins, Eddie runs up the aisle for six, but Waltman uh, manages to escape and Eddie just stands there frustrated as we go to commercial. After which uh, comes Lee Marshall's road report. Tonight we come to you live from Monroe, Louisiana. Great Louisiana fans love World Championship Wrestling. And earlier today we sent our colleague Lee Marshall down to the southern part of the state, down around the Delta of the Mississippi River to New Orleans. And Lee Marshall joins us live on the road with 1-800-COLLECT. Hello there, Lee Marshall. Hello, Tony. Just to the southeast of you, the beautiful Crescent City. And I got to tell you, fans are excited, of course, about the Super Bowl 31 coming here in a couple of weeks. But tremendous excitement about WCW Monday Nitro coming to the New Orleans Superdome Arena one week from tonight. I'm actually at a floating riverboat Nitro party. I'm Lake Pontchartrain. Fans from as far away as Gulfport and Biloxi, they've got their tickets for Nitro in the Big Easy. And you better do the same. Visit the Superdome Arena box office or your nearest Ticketmaster. Bobby, uh, I'm going to take you to see Chef Harry high atop Bourbon Street's Hotel Gig Mark. We're going to get some of his world-famous Bayou Black and Weasel. Yo! <laughs> that is your 1-800-COLLECT road report from New Orleans. I'm Lee Marshall for 1-800-COLLECT. No doubt you'll see him face down on cops on Bourbon Street sometime in the near future. <laughs> He's floating already. <laughs> Bayou Black and Weasel? <laughs> We might have to try that. Marshall is in New Orleans this week, where, according to him, there seems to be about equal excitement for Super Bowl 31, which will take place in the Crescent City on January 26th, as there is from Nitro, which will be coming there live one week from today. <laughs> I totally Tony, Schiav <laughs> Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay fake laughter for Marshall's jokes about getting Bayou Blackened Weasel. Bayou Blackened Weasel. <laughs> Right. I mean, they they laugh so much about that. I'm like, is there something about this joke I'm not, I'm not catching? Like, is there something obviously funny? Because they seem to think that that was like ingenious on his behalf. <laughs> yeah, I. Good question. I don't know. <laughs> uh, o Canada plays next, and here comes the amazing French Canadians with Colonel Robert Parker. Tony says they just learned that Hogan is here tonight, but they do not know if the giant is. Jacques then demands that all the Cajuns stand up and sing the real French national anthem, which is weird because he's acting like he's acting like Cajun people have an affinity for France or something like 
it, it was very weird the way he said the real French national anthem. And today I remember like laughs and goes, is there a bogus French national anthem? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do their usual s- singing deal until they get interrupted by the Harlem Heat's music. The Heat come out with Sherry and quickly dispense a Pierre before hitting a double suplex on Jacques. Stevie Ray and Jacques then square off with Stevie hitting a delayed slam on the Canadian before bringing in Booker for a little dumber for a little double teaming. Jacques telegraphs a body drop and Booker kicks him. He lays in another kick, but Jacques avoids an elbow drop. Booker spinaroonies to his feet and tags Jacques with a Harlem sidekick. Parker gets on the apron and Booker is distracted. As Scott Dickinson deals with Sherry, also on the apron now, Pierre sneaks in and clotheslines Book before dumping him to the outside, where Parker takes the boots to him. Confusingly, Jacques stays on the outside, even though he's the legal man, and Pierre stays in the ring, goading Sherry and Stevie Ray, so that they're riled up enough to continue distracting the ref. But this also means that when Booker is rolled back into the ring and Scott Dickinson turns around to see the match going on, he sees him fighting with Pierre, who is not the legal man, which Scott Dickinson should know. He should keep track of who the legal man is. Right. It's just the Canadians switch places is all I'm trying to say, and no one noticed. <laughs> the Canadians isolate Booker and kick the shit out of him in a corner. They hit the double stun gun on Booker T, and Jacques keeps up the assault with a pile driver. Jacques keeps up the assault with pile driver and then tags in Pierre. Jacques then applies a Boston Crab, and Pierre enters the ring by doing a top rope leg drop across the back of Booker's neck. Stevie Ray is there to break up the pin. That distracts Dickinson again, so the Canadians now get a Quebec flag. PCO goes to hit Booker with the flag, but of course Booker ducks, and down goes Jacques. A big kick sends PCO to the outside, and Booker and Stevie Ray hit the Heat Bomb, their tag finisher that I don't remember ever seeing before. Like... <laughs> I, they've won a bunch of matches but they never do this heat bomb I've never even heard of that but that's what it was called by Tony Giovanni right. uh, basically it's Stevie Ray does like kind of a power bomb or at least like the f- the first 75% of a power bomb and then they're kind of elbow dropped out of midair by Booker it's cool looking it's, it's fine I, I liked it but it was just odd the way it was like oh yeah we all know this and I was like I haven't seen that in the year and a half I've been watching Nitros. Right. That's the finish, and Harlem Heat pick up the win in under five minutes. Booker and Stevie yell a bunch of things at the camera, soaking it in spit. Sherry yells at Dickinson for some reason, and Parker yells at a different camera about Harlem Heat will pay for this. I was going to say that um, that Colonel Robert Parker still has the pencil-thin mustache. He indeed does. It's a little bit more defined now, so it looks like he is trying to improve it. Because I know last week, at least I was con- wondering if he was going to keep it up for a while. So the legend of the pencil thin mustache continues. <laughs> we get replays and then a commercial along with a sold out promo. Uh, this was the one we talked about at Starcade that was not on the network version where they had a bleeped out swear word. For the oh the sold out promo did yeah like it the the promo bleeps it's I mean the bleep is built into it it's not that the network added that later or anything okay. but yeah the promo is like come see all the bleep in the NWO it's it's something like that come see all the ass in the NWO. <laughs> <laughs> we then see replays of Sting's actions during the Luger Giant match from Starcade after which Meng comes out. And he does come out with the Dungeon of Doom music, which sucks because I want his weird flute theme back. Yeah, no, that one's terrific. 
if the dungeoner stop using their theme, give me that goddamn flute. <laughs> I was anyway, just, I was just gonna say for the um for that sold out promo that it has uh, one of the NWO members being the giant. So it's basically yes, it does. As soon as they made it, it was out of date. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know the whole giant in the NWO thing, like. He went in because they panicked because they'd been teasing a new member, believing Davy Boy Smith was going to jump, and then Davy didn't, and they were like, well, we got to do something. And so the giant went in. So he never really fit with the group. Right. But it seems like the decision to pull him out was made also kind of last minute because it built it built over a very short period of time. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all that, yeah, that, like you said, that that promo is filmed believing the giant is going to be a part of the NWO. And then just they decided to pull the trigger on him leaving a lot earlier. That'd be that'd be interesting to hear like what that was all about because I mean, right now they're setting up him as like Hogan's next championship opponent. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was like, did they not have a plan for what Hogan was going to do after Piper? Um, do they just needed a filler? Um, yeah, that's it's that's interesting to see like how come they seem seemingly had a last last moment like new championship contender for hogan next out comes lex luger to a very warm welcome from these louisiana fans a young woman in the crowd is extremely excited i they just like show a couple and the girl is going nuts she <laughs> loves lex luger uh and here to call all the action is our own very excited dave amantorp yeah let's let's get going for this match uh, so the first couple of minutes of this match are back and forth with Luger hitting forearms and clotheslines and Ming getting chops and chokeholds in. So I'm, I'm really summarizing this because it's like it's Luger versus Ming. It's exactly what you expect from Luger versus Ming. Ming eventually backs Luger into the corner and stops him down to the mat, driving his boot into Lex's throat for good measure. Both a shoulder breaker and a pile driver for Ming are unable to keep Lex Luger on the mat for a three count. But Meng doesn't care. Meng just chops him some more. Luger rallies, hitting clotheslines and forearms galore before getting a big back body drop. Uh, during this rally, I thought that the... That, I don't mean to interrupt, but that's that's going to be my rap name. Big What's back it? body drop. Big back... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. Um, during this rally, I thought by the crowd reaction that someone was coming to the ring, but no, it's just people losing their fucking minds for the total package. I feel like every week I'm constantly surprised on how over Lex Luger is because it's like, yeah, it's like, it doesn't seem like Luger is doing anything different to get (laughs) the crowd's appreciation. Yeah. Um, But a power slam by Luger gets a two count. Luger then gets Ming into the torture rack, but dumb old referee is in the wrong place at the wrong uh... time, and he gets nailed by Ming's boot. The Barbarian hits a ring 0.4 seconds after this happens. He is immediately in that ring as soon as a referee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Luger doesn't care, though. Luger's just wrestling a guy. He'll wrestle whoever. So he powers <laughs> and then puts him in the torture rack. Sure does. At, the, at this point, the referee wakes up, takes observes the situation, and says, you know what? I will, in fact, allow this. And he calls for the bell as Lex Luger gets the submission victory over the Barbarian. You know, when I 
when I read about like this result before I watched the match, I assumed it was going to be some sort of like referee's days and not quite sure as far as what's going on. But no, yeah. that referee has a full view that it's a different guy. The yeah. does look different than Ming, you know. I, and I wasn't looking for it, but I was curious. So, was there an announcement that Luger was the victor? I know Tony says that he was, but like, is it possible that the result was actually a DQ? And that's like, and it was just Tony who said he was the victor. Yeah. And so, you know, we as the audience, that's the message like we get. Like maybe, maybe, maybe they're not as bad. Maybe the booking isn't as bad as it seems, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Maybe it was more Tony's mess up, but it would not be the first time that WCW has done that. There was like a match. I can't remember. I can't remember the specifics, but it was like either Hogan versus Vader or Hogan versus Flair. And he ends up, it's like, a. I think it's a strap match with Hogan and Vader and yeah. Hogan ends up pinning Flair to win the strap match against Vader. Yeah. No, I, I remember I was reading about that because I was trying to read about examples of strap matches in which people got pinfalls. Oh, sure. Um, and that was one where he was facing Vader. I feel like it's like Super Brawl 95. It's like early 95. And Flair interferes and he just beats him instead. That's So I guess like the precedent is established in WCW. Yes. As long as you beat someone in the match, it can count. Yeah, the very dumb precedent has already been established. <laughs> I mean, my understanding, based on what I witnessed, was that the referee saw that he was torture racking someone, and that he calls for the victory. I mean, I don't. I mean, does he ask him if he submits? Was Barbarian submitting for one reason? Or another? Right, right. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it's the sort of thing where they're like, it doesn't have to make sense. This is this is Lex Luger. He wins. I don't get the point. I don't get the point. Why doesn't he just beat Ming? But whatever. That finish gets a big whatever for me. After the break, the NWO music plays, and all the lower card guys come out and stand on the platforms that are at the top of the aisleway. They have big metal WCW letters on them. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very cool visual to have like this army of guys come out and stand on those. Uh, that stage then set, Kevin Nash comes out mugging to the camera, followed by Bischoff along with an unhappy-looking Miss Elizabeth. And last out, of course, is the world champion, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. As Hogan walks into the ring, the rest of the gang kind of coalesces behind him. Again, it looks awesome. I thought it looked really cool. Yeah. When they reach the ring, Eric Bischoff grabs a mic and claims that Hogan beat Piper twice last week. Is he too much or what? Yeah. Hoster, my man! Hoster, my man! Or should I say Hollywood? Last week, man, you were too much. You beat Piper twice in one week. Starcade, you stuck him like a tack. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and then on Monday Nitro, single-handedly, you laid him to waste. But, Hoster, let me tell you what. I never thought I'd see anything like you taking on the giant single-handedly. What was that like, man? Well, you know, Mr. Bischoff, buddy friend indeed, I had a little talk the other day with the outsiders when we were laying out on Venice Beach, California. And whether it's 
one of the outsiders or the other outsider or Hollywood by himself. We figured if we weren't worried about our fans, weren't worried about entertaining all the NWOites, that either one of the outsiders or Hulk Hogan could single-handedly have an NWO Invitational Battle Royal and destroy the whole WCW. In other words, Mr. Bischoff, it was really easy and it was a lot of fun to punk that Piper and then to take down that no good, stinky giant. Well, man, I know you dug taking him out, but the way you did it, I mean, you hit him with a right hook, then a left uppercut, and then a forearm, and he went down like a sack of uh, mud. But, but Hollywood, did you hear him? Did you hear him when he said, I mean, he was a 500-pound man that said, please, Hollywood, don't hurt me anymore. I never thought I'd see the day. Well, you know, the begging, saying, please, Mr. Hogan, is one thing. Oh, my but goodness. Stuff we got to use. Hold see on. ya. There's no way we can lose. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did this, I tell you this. Like I guess that answers our question. This the giant was in the building. And look at Hogan retreat. Look at Hogan retreat. Yeah, get behind him. First at Sarcade, and then at Nitro, where he specifies that Hulk beat up Piper single-handedly before beating up the Giant all by himself. Hogan says that he had a chat with the Outsiders recently, and they decided that if any of the three of them could beat the entire WCW in a battle royal all by themselves. It was it was a weird thing to, to say that they had a yeah. conversation about, but also... It, it was just a very Hogan way in which he uses way too many words. To yes. This. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is he going on about? Because it made no sense. Yeah. Well, the weirdest part, if I, if I can remember the quote, it's something like, I was talking to the Outsiders, and we decided that if any of the three of us had an NWO Invitational Battle Royal, and right. we didn't care about our fans, we could beat the entire WCW and it's like, what does the part about caring about your fans mean? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> right. That part of it was, like, more bizarre than even the rest of it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to point out, um, I don't know exactly how his appearance was last week, but I feel like this is the first week in which it's like, Marcus Alexander Bagwell's really starting to look like Buff Bagwell. Like, he's got the... Uh, oh, sure, yeah. His short, like, like slicked hair... He's looking like getting like that super tan and like his little kind of like look like a drawn on goatee. Uh, I believe they're still calling him Marcus Alexander Bagwell. I don't know when they he, are. Yes. Yeah. I don't know when he gets the, the, the new nickname, but he's starting to really get the appearance of it. Hogan says that it felt good taking out Piper and that no good stinky giant. <laughs> I was really glad to hear Hogan talk about how stinky the giant is again. It was That was a fun callback. Bischoff lays out a combo that he claims Hulk used to take out the giant. Like, oh, you gave him a left, then a right, blah, blah, blah. He says the giant went down like a sack of mud. <laughs> right. I genuinely believe that Bischoff at the last minute remembered that he can't swear. Uh, or I thought that he just had a brain fart and didn't think of sack of potatoes. Uh, Maybe. I think he was going to say sack of shit and then was like, oh, cannot say that. You dropped him like he's a sack of shit. (laughs) He then claims that the giant was begging for mercy, which is enough to bring out a very angry looking Paul White. The giant stalks down to the ring, staring down the entire NWO by himself. 
Nash attacks him, but the Giant chokes him and throws him out of the ring. Giant takes out Bagwell, Norton, Six, then the Bogus Sting in Bagwell, Wall Street, and Vincent. Finally, he chokes Nick Patrick and press slams him over the top rope into uh, an assembly of NWO members. It's just him and Hogan now, plus Bischoff, who is freaking out. Hogan begs for mercy, but then tries throwing a sucker punch that the Giant catches in his massive paw. Giant crushes Hogan's fist, and Bischoff tries to free his friend with a few hapless double sledges to the Giant's back. The Giant signals to chokeslam Eric Bischoff, but this distraction has allowed Hogan to get a chair with which he waffles the Giant. The NWO converges on their prey and stomp the hell out of the big man. They hold him for a Hogan unprotected but not that hard chair shot to the head, and then another. Tony points out that the Giant has no friends, he gave up on WCW by joining the NWO, but then turned on them as well. Very valid point, and also explains why no one's coming out to save Yeah, them. no, it's really, it makes a lot of sense, especially because we've seen solidarity for the most part from WCW, so I liked an explanation given. as to, It's better than like when they would do the same to Macho Man and just no one cared, I guess. Yeah, and also, I mean, I would say if you're a WCW wrestler, like last week, it could have just been, you know, people getting heated with each other and the Giant wanting his title match, but not exactly wanting to be kicked out of the NWO. Right. I could totally see it being like, well, no, there's no way like a week later I'm going to suddenly trust him now or come out to save him or anything yeah. like that. And also right. the NWO is already bloated and has like 36 people in the ring. So I'm not going to take on 36 guys at once. The NWO congratulate themselves on a job well done, then give Eric the belt and tell him to get in some shots, and he does. Hogan raises Bischoff's hand and claims that even he could be the NWO champion as long as it's all in the family. The NWO leaves as their music plays. The giant lays unconscious in the ring, surrounded by trash. As the NWO heads to the broadcast table, Tony, Mike, and Bobby run away. Eric, Hogan, and Nash get headsets and congratulate themselves, singing We Are the Champions. We then cut to Sting, who walks to the ring holding his belt. The NWO guys on the headsets love it, as they believe Sting is going to attack the Giant, and uh, they goad him on. I don't, I don't get what, what the NWO, like... They're... they're so sure that any day Sting is going to join their group. Like, yeah. time and time again he doesn't, and they're just like, this time, though, he's definitely with us <laughs> right i got a good feeling this is gonna work out in our favor <laughs> sting tries to wake up the giant but can't he points at the nwo with his bat then leaves it in the ring next to the giant and walks back up the aisle the nwo sends vincent to the ring to attack the giant with the bat left over <laughs> this whole part plays out like a horror movie it's so good i love it with the, with the uh, people. Even the fact that they sent the one black guy. Right. <laughs> <to> be... <laughs> I mean, it is like, if this was a horror movie, that would be the person that gets killed, you know? It would be that yeah. character. But, like, this idea of them on the at the announcer's booth just, like, talking about, like, oh, this is going to be no problem. Just go and go. Right. Go poke the dangerous monster and hope it doesn't try to kill you. And, oh, God, yeah. it's getting up! <laughs> Vincent like laughs as he bounds down the aisle with glee to pick the bones right. he kicks the giant's feet and grabs the bat he poses with the bat and his foot on the giant when suddenly the seven footer grabs the bat 
The giant rises, grabs Vincent by the neck, and hits a huge choke slam. The NWO try to run in, but the pissed off giant now has the higher ground and a weapon. The giant fends them off, roaring like a maniac as he does so. The crowd is into it, although they do chant, We Want Sting, and the show ends with a fantastic shot of the giant in the ring bellowing with anger as he wields the bat. Uh, and they crossfade it, but like leave up bull shots. They kind of half crossfade it yeah. uh, with Sting, who is watching it all transpire from the top of the ramp. It was a fantastic segment. I loved it. I cannot say enough about how much I loved this main event segment. Yes. Uh, what did you did you like it too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the one the only negative I I have is I just don't like hearing Hogan on the announcers part of things. Yeah. Then he gets further, like, like, unable to stay on topic. Right. Point. Yeah, that's true. I, just, I don't like listening to Hogan talk at all. So, like, having that added thing of where he is—he's a little bit like even less filtered on 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 the headset—is just a nightmare for me. But yeah, no, everything everything about this was fantastic. Um, at first, I was like, you know what? I'm not sure about like the giant being beaten down, it makes him, I felt like it was going to make him look weak. Yeah. But then, I, but then you realize it's like he got beaten down and even that doesn't stop him. He still gets back up. Like he's fucking Michael Myers or something like that. Like there's just and, no stopping him. And unlike past NWO beatdowns of various people, the giant included this time he held his own for a long time. He beat the shit out of all of them. Yes. And then it was only when, like, he finally decided, like, oh, I'm going to get Bischoff. Like, finally then Hogan and a chair yeah. finally managed to take him down. So, like, yeah, he got beat down, but it was only after, like, doing just a bunch of, of offense. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to do a bunch more later. And just him with that bat just roaring was so cool. I yeah. was so into it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I'm from the future, and I know that, like, it's not going to work out for the Giant in his feud with Hogan. Um, but, like, they're doing a great – even if the payoff doesn't make it there, they're doing a great job building him for that eventual showdown. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, when the Giant came out and the and people were just going crazy, I was like I, – I feel like the, the fans are more naturally into this than they were for, like, Piper and Hogan initially. Whereas yeah. I felt like Piper and Hogan both had to really, really sell it uh, to the point at which fans were like, yeah, okay, I can get into the icon versus icon. But just having, they can just put the giant out there and it's like, oh, no, no, we want to cheer for the seven foot monster because we want to yeah. cheer for the guy that that is the dominant force and will have a, the best chance of winning, you know? Right. Yeah. You always want to be back in a winner. And that's like the biggest looking winner you could have in pro wrestling at this time all right well that is the end of nitro uh so overall thoughts on the show i thought this was a good nitro uh, i thought last week was a little below average i thought this week was a little above average um there's a trade-off when you do a lot of short matches in that like nothing has a chance to breathe and be great sure. but there also is the the fact that like Things that I don't that would have dragged had I had to watch a lot of them, like the Taskmaster versus Chavo Guerrero. Like, hey, if that's only two minutes, then I'm not going to complain about it very much. It didn't take up a lot of time. Um, unfortunately, there was eight and a half minutes of Jim Duggan 
just dragging Steven Regal down with him. Right. Uh, but overall, I thought this was was a good show with two very strong segments um, in the Horsemen and the NWO segments and a very good match with Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Psychosis. So I think if you've got three very solid segments in your two-hour show, uh, you're already probably above the average wrestling program. Yeah, well, I, I also thought that Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero worked out very well. I felt like it made Eddie Guerrero look very like a very strong, legitimate champion. That's true, yeah. And really, I felt really built up this match with uh, with six. The ladder match is coming up at sold out. Um, I felt overall, uh, at this point, watching this show, assuming that, that we're going to have the Giant versus Hogan at sold out, at this point, I felt like they did a really, really good job of hyping up their next two big shows, which is uh, Clash of the Champions and Sold Out. Um, and yeah, like the I, I thought that the last segment was outstanding. Um, I feel like it, that was one of the best like um, ending segments that we've had. So one of the better ones that we've had um, on Nitro so far. Absolutely. Um, especially NWO related. It might be the best NWO related finish probably since um, that one where Hall, it was just Hall and Nash and had the bats and the, the cops came in like right before. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That yep. one was really good, but this, this one was excellent. I really, really enjoyed it. There, like I guess there are a few fucking just weird things that happened during the show. Um, I mean, I th- we'll get resolution at some point, I assume, with the Kevin Sullivan and this other videotape. Um, but, like, the sort of impromptu match between Jared and Arn Anderson was weird, and the finish to Luger versus Meng was weird. So there yeah. was, like, I mean, it's also just, like, WSW referee fuckery is always abound on every uh, Yes. Episode. So it's kind of, that's, you have to take the good with the bad, and and the refereeing in between basically so um no i really i did really enjoy the show um and like like you said fantastic finish of the show all right well there's just a couple things left and that's to name our segment of the night and our mvp uh we'll start with segment of the night and this week we'll start with you dave what was your segment of the night well more often than not i just i typically end up picking out the best match uh, but i'm gonna go away from that this week and i'm gonna go with the end of the show i felt like that like we've already mentioned that the end of the show was very very effective it makes uh the giant look like the biggest most dominant force in wcw and the the most legitimate adversary to the nwo as you can have when you're talking about just like one individual like you can believe that the giant could destroy the nwo by himself just by seeing that segment. Um, and also sprinkling a little bit of that mystery with Sting. And like you mentioned, that kind of double shot at the end kind of makes you wonder like, oh, are we going to find out more about why Sting helped the Giant this week? When it seemed like he went against the Giant at Stargate. So just more mystery around Sting that hopefully we'll get to learn more about. And I felt like that was uh, just another effective element to that. So I definitely have to go with the, the finishing segment as the segment of the night. Uh, yeah. Sometimes there's no set laws for how we do this. Sometimes I pick something different from you just so we have two different things. Uh, but I'm not this time because I love that segment so much that I would 
it would bother me to pretend that there was something else that was my segment of the night. So uh, 100% the ending segment's my segment of the night. And with that, I uh, the MVP I have written in my notes, the fucking giant, baby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, how about you? Who is your MVP? I I mean, I didn't. I felt like it was going to be boring to just say the same thing because he was the MVP last week. But I think we're learning now that Monday Nitro is just a better show when you emphasize the giant in it. So yes. uh, I was like, I would have to convince myself that someone was a bigger MVP than the giant this week. And I don't feel like anyone, no one st- stood out more than the giant this week for that end segment and looking like a legitimate threat. I mean, Piper could do what he could. He did the best he could as far as like being reckless and like a, a ticking time bomb that it's hard to handle. But the giant is like the physical threat that could that looks like he could handle an entire stable by himself. Um, I mean, I, I would give like kind of like a, the runner up, I would say is definitely Eddie Guerrero because Eddie Guerrero had a really good match with Alex Wright. And he has a, a I feel like is a, a promising program going on with six and this ladder match and trying to get back the championship. That's really his, I felt like he looked really strong this week and that the whole feud is a lot more interesting now than, then I think they, I don't remember if they had announced it by this point or not, but I'm now really, really interested in that, that ladder match was sold out. Absolutely. Uh, sold out is shaping up to be an interesting show. Uh, I mean, Steiners versus the Outsiders, that's good. Giant versus Hogan, I'm very invested in that. The ladder match, I'm, very, I'm anxious to see that. 97 is, I think, considered by a lot of people one of the most interesting years in wrestling history and uh it's certainly starting off with a bang over here on the wcw end and meanwhile over in wwf you've got you know brett and sean uh you know rekindling issues they had in 96 uh mm-hmm. that certainly are going to be dominate the headlines uh, of 1997 so yeah yep. i think there is such a lot of cool stuff to cover uh and the it is it is actually helping me get through this uh this lockdown, this quarantine, this stay at home, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. that I get to watch and review these shows and that we're trying to get more episodes out for the people. Um, I've been really enjoying it. I had a, a ton of fun watching this and making my notes today. So right now I'm in a happy place. How about you? Yeah. I'm re- <laughs> yes, I'm at a happy place too. Good. Hooray. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, be sure and check out the Worldwide Edition, which will come out in a few days. Uh, if you're someone that is new to the show by chance, uh, we in our Worldwide Editions, we put those out between our Nitro reviews, and we cover everything that happened in wrestling that wasn't on the Nitro we just talked about. So we go through the Wrestling Observer and the Pro Wrestling Torch, talk about anything that was in there that was too interesting. Uh, we hit on what's going on in WWF and ECW. Uh, not everything, we just kind of take the top headlines or things that are funny or interesting Uh, a little bit from japan mexico we talk about the ratings uh and we just sort of uh we talk a little bit about our our lives today and uh and wrestling in 2020 such as it is right now um so if you're if you're new or if you're someone that's been skipping those because you look at them and say i don't know what the hell that is i'm not gonna listen to it uh check them out because i think they're a lot of fun i think we we give out a lot of good information on them So you can find that in your feed in a few days. 
right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Bayou Black and Weasel, yo! <laughs> Bayou Black and Weasel, yo! <laughs> Bayou Black and Weasel, yo! Bayou Black and Weasel? Bayou Black and Weasel? I want it under collect.